We've been doing a series to start 2022, uh, and it's been called Kingdom Investments. And what we've done is just looked at the idea of the sowing principle or, or investing principle that we can sow and expect to reap a harvest. There's things that, that as children of God that you and I can be doing, that as children of God that we can engage in, that I'm assuring you, my opinion is, this is Pastor Steve's guarantee, if you invest in these things, you will reap a reward. I'm just saying that. If you invest in Sabbath rest, that's taking time to find that place for you and the Lord, you will reap a reward. If you invest in the practice of submission, that's making sure myself, my flesh, Steve is aligned under his mission, I'm where he needs me to be and I'm doing what he needs me to be doing, you will be blessed. If you can practice the confession, the, the discipline of confession, that's speaking what you truly own, whether you've messed up or you've recognized that Jesus Christ died so that mess up could be forgiven, that's the discipline of confession. And last week I, I had my added sermon where we talked about the discipline of guarding our hearts, that we have a wellspring of life. I mean, that is such a profound picture for me right now. There's a wellspring of life within you. There's a wellspring of life within you that is life for someone else. Are we really guarding that? Are we really paying attention to what's happening there? And so today I want to finish. And the disciplines that we've talked about up until now, they kind of seem to be, most would assume the benefit is me. Like I get the benefit. If I practice Sabbath, I get the benefit. If I practice confession, my sins are forgiven. I get the benefit. If I practice submission, I get to do cool things with God. I get the benefit. When I guard my heart, I get the benefit, you know, because life is for me too. Today's discipline is a kingdom discipline that I believe you reap a benefit, but it's not just you who reaps the benefit. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a, the kingdom of God, truly, that reaps the benefit of this investment. The value is for the kingdom of God. I'm going to read, and then I'll pray, and we'll get into my discipline. These are very familiar verses. My sermon today is a very basic sermon. That's okay. Sometimes I need basic. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, this is Jesus after the resurrection. That's what we're talking about, just in case you're trying to put this in the context of Scripture. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I want to really focus on this phrase where there's a therefore. Jesus is talking to the eleven. This is after his, his crucifixion, resurrection. This is the end of the book, okay? So the book of Matthew was a book about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a book that has gone through his life. And I see this as, you know, the last words or the, the, the end. And he says, therefore, I know it says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, but this therefore resounds in me. And I feel like this is Pastor Steve. You can take it or leave it. This therefore isn't just speaking about all the authority that's been given it's speaking about the context of the whole book that has been written. So Jesus is going to these guys. These guys are the 11 disciples who have followed him, right? Who have been with him. 
And he's saying to them, this whole story has happened. This is going back to Jesus. This is going back to the prophecies about Jesus and, and his birth. And, and, and it's going back to him calling the disciples. It's going back to, to what he did. It's going back to, to where he was and, and the miracles that were accomplished in and, and his life. And then he says to them, therefore. Like all this has happened. I'm not saying the resurrection isn't important. I'm not saying the death, the crucifixion is important. But all this has happened. So therefore, everything has built up to this moment. Now, therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations. I want to talk about a discipline that I don't believe we view as a discipline for us. Like it's kind of this corporate discipline, like that's the church's job. That's pastor's job or the Sunday school teacher's job or, or, or the small group leader's job. This discipline that I want us to talk about is making disciples. I wonder who is intentional about Jesus is therefore at the end of the book. I mean, this is his big finish. This is like the moment he can say anything in all creation. And he chooses to say, hey, I've got all authority on heaven and earth. Like everything that's happened was supposed to happen. There's cool things that are coming. So you need to go make disciples. I'm telling you, as I was wrestling through disciplines, this rose the top like i don't know that that we view a a spiritual discipline a, a kingdom discipline of of making disciples that's you doing it not waiting for someone else to do it i believe jesus jesus is therefore is communicating to all who are disciples that we are to go and make disciples that's for you, that's for me, that's for us today. So, some questions. How are you doing with the command of Jesus? Like, if this is the big therefore, how are you doing when it comes to making disciples? You say, I'm doing okay, so then I'm going to ask you, who are the disciples that you're investing in right now? And I'm going to say, as a follow-up to my who question, then are you really practicing discipleship at all? I want to look this morning at the discipline of making disciples. It's a, it's a simple concept. It's a simple thought. It's, it's one of those elementary teachings of God. We, we all know the Great Commission. We're supposed to go and do this. But I want to bring it into us, into my context and I want to bring it into what I'm doing and maybe making it a discipline to do it. Like discipline takes intentional effort. Without being intentional about this, I don't think it's just going to happen. I'm going to pray, Father, I thank you this morning for this opportunity in your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray for your anointing upon the words to come. Asking God that we hear from you. Praying God for your very will to be accomplished. Asking that you would challenge us with what we can do. Helping us to make this a discipline in our lives. God, I thank you this day for all that you are. I yield myself to you. Praying for your very best in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to say make disciples and people say, well, pastor, that's complicated, so I'm out. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I remember this now because Pastor Terry just asked for it. 
Uh, I was supposed to make disciples, right? That's what a youth pastor does. And so guess what a youth pastor does who's supposed to make disciples? You write a discipleship program because that's what we're supposed to do. Like if I'm going to make disciples, I need to write a book. And so I wrote my own little discipleship program, and then I thought I had it all figured out. But sometimes that process of discipleship is too intimidating for, for a lot of people to gauge in. I don't have time to write or expertise or understanding to write a discipleship book. So, so how, Pastor, am I supposed to do it? You went to Bible college, and they taught you how to write books and stuff. No, they didn't, but I'm just saying. Like, that's what we say. Those are the excuses we make. And today I want to take this, this principle of discipleship because I think we've complicated it and just strip it down to some simple steps. Is that fair? So step number one, if you want to make disciples, you've got to be a disciple. Huh? Does that make sense? I, pro- I probably don't have to say too much on that, but I'm a pastor, so you know I will. I don't know that I'm working. Oh, oh, I don't think I'm working right now. Well, uh, there's this verses that will magically appear behind me in just a moment, and I'll read them. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It goes from verse 31 through chapter 11, verse 1. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Paul, to the church in Corinth, says what? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul then you can follow me. Because I'm following Christ. I'm a disciple first. I've been following him. So now you can pattern your life after mine. Now, I'll be very candid. I've said it probably to people in this room when it comes to marriage. I have said, do not follow me when it comes to marriage or my wife. Because what works for us doesn't work for others. Like our, our marriage just is it's organic the way we do it. But I'm guaranteeing in your home you would end up divorced or fighting or in jail. One or the other. It just wouldn't work for you. Paul is saying, I figured out a way. He's not saying, do it my way. He's saying, follow me as I have followed Christ. I can't make disciples until I am a disciple. And if you're not following Christ, please don't engage in the rest of my sermon. I mean, engage in it and hear what God has to say for you. But please don't do these things until you're following Christ. I'm not giving you an out right now either, but I'm just saying, like, if you're going to be intentional about making disciples, please make sure you know what you're doing. There's a, there's a thought process that has resonated in my heart this week. I say, be a disciple. And being a disciple truly is being passionate about what God has done, right? I mean, we really can't be disciples if we're not passionate about the love that he's demonstrated to us. Passion. Passion produces intrigue. I'm convinced in my small understanding of the world, if I'm passionate about something, if I'm passionate enough about something, I can get people to follow me. If I show enough passion, it's peculiar enough that people begin to demonstrate. And I'm going to show you guys how this works. 
Last week, there was a Holy Spirit moment in the sermon. Do you remember when I was talking about what our eyes look at is what comes from our mouth? And Pastor prophesied in church on Sunday morning about the Cincinnati Bengals and them beating the Kansas City Chiefs and going to the Super Bowl. Remember that? See, passion produces intrigue. You know about 4 o'clock what happened? My phone went crazy. Do you know why my phone went crazy? Because a lot of people were more intrigued about a football game because they knew pastor's passion. And a lot of people who may not have cared less went and checked the score to a football game because they knew pastor was passionate about it. What if, what if my passion for God was enough that someone was willing to just check the score to see who won? Man, I need to be a disciple before I can make disciples. We're a peculiar people. The way we live, the way we carry ourselves, it should cause others. The passion that's inside of us should cause others to at least be willing to investigate what's going on there. There's got to be something in this. So step one was be a disciple. Step two, invite. Sorry, I got ahead of myself there. Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. There's something in these verses that is imperative in discipleship. You see, I've been in church long enough. I've been around church people long enough. We're waiting for the Holy Spirit to do his job. I'm not saying we shouldn't wait on the Holy Spirit. But what did not happen in this story was Jesus didn't go to the wharf. He didn't go to the docks and just walk back and forth praying. I'm not saying Jesus didn't pray. What happened here? He didn't wait for for Simon or John to notice him. Jesus had to be intentional about making an invitation. Did you see that? Sometimes I feel like we wait for people to come to us. Let me sit here and wait. I'll tell you what. When my kid's ready to be discipled, I'll disciple them. When my neighbor wants to know, I'll tell them. And we just walk back and forth waiting. Jesus wasn't counting on this aura that was the Son of God walking around people coming and flocking to Him. He had to do something crazy. Hey, come follow me. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew were casting a net in the lake. They were literally in the middle of something. Jesus didn't even wait for them to be finished. I'll wait till their life's not so busy. 
James and John, they were in a boat with their father preparing their nets. They were getting ready for work. And Jesus just said, come follow me. I'm going to say it. Discipleship starts with an invitation. I think we've got to be more intentional like Jesus, looking for someone to shout, come follow me. It might seem weird. Jesus verbalized what he desired them to do. We need to be disciplined in making disciples by literally looking for someone and saying, hey, come follow me. Now, this is complete speculation on Pastor Steve's part right now, okay? So please don't take this as the word of God. It's kind of like my chosen moment. Can I have a chosen moment this morning where people are interpreting what the scripture says? Okay? Sorry if I just stepped on somebody's toes right there. My chosen moment is we see that Jesus says this to the guys on the boat and the guys with their dad and they come follow him. Did Jesus say this to someone they didn't come follow him? I just wonder. I'm not saying he did. I'm not saying he didn't. But I speculate like we see all the ones that work. We never see the dude that said no to Jesus. <laughs> well, Yeah, I mean in a different, yes, the rich young ruler in a different context. But I feel like at times when it comes to discipleship, we're afraid of the no, so we never invite. Like we don't invite people to come because for some reason that word no you take the strongest man in the world and someone tells them no and suddenly they're a, they're a pool of putty on the ground because someone happened to tell them no? I'm going to tell you, this is pastor's experience. In making disciples, people will tell you no. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you missed anything. It doesn't mean that you weren't right. The reality is that someone will tell you no sometime. But I just need to look for the opportunity to say, hey, Come, follow me. Step one is be a disciple. Step two is invite someone. And then what did Jesus do? I mean, it was really profound, right? He had this great manual that he wrote for his youth kids. And he sat down and they had this one night a week where they sat around a table. And he had a cool chart where they could circle the Bible verses that they'd memorized. And they could talk about what they were praying for. And they could keep track of what they were praying for and what prayers were answered. He talked about the importance of spiritual disciplines. And and he talked about the importance of of this and that. He had it all lined out for them to sit down on a Wednesday night at, at church around a table, right? We be a disciple, we invite people. Sorry. And then we invest. What was the invitation from Jesus? Like, hey, I got a cool book for you to read. Check this out and call me later. He didn't go on the boat and say, hey, you just finish up what you're doing. Here's my, my binder on discipleship. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the discipline of, of, of teaching. I'm not coming against the discipline of teaching right now. Don't hear that in what I'm saying. But Jesus recognized for effective discipleship, the invitation was literally, come follow me. Why? I believe Paul communicated it. Come follow me as I'm following Christ, he says. Jesus is saying, come watch me. 
Come do life with me. What happened? Immediately they left the boat and they went and they started to follow him. What did they see when they followed Jesus? Greg talked in Sunday school this morning about Jesus' practice for prayer. They watched Jesus continually go away to the mountainside and pray. They watched him leave the crowds and withdraw to a place where he could encounter his father. They were able to walk with Jesus as he was teaching in these crazy parables. And when they left and didn't know what in the world Jesus was talking about, they could look him in the eye over supper later on and say, Hey, can you explain that parable? They were able to watch how Jesus reacted to the fame of the masses follow him. They were able to see how Jesus reacted to the anger and and the, the persecution demonstrated by the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were able to watch him make make um, the fish and loaves multiply. They were able to do life with Jesus. How long did Jesus disciple these guys? Huh? At least that, right? I wonder. Almost say it this way. Jesus asked them to come follow him, and they followed him for the rest of Jesus' life. And actually, let me show you something. This is really cool. If I can get there, I'll show you. John chapter 21, when they had finished eating, Jesus, this is all post-resurrection. This is in John. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. Saying that's discipleship. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. That's discipleship. The, The third time, He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. This is after. This is post-Jesus' earthly life. Jesus required three years. We want investments. Like we want to know the, the stock or the cyber currency or the whatever that we can put in like $2 today and have $2 million tomorrow. We want Doge and we want to be able to put it in something that doesn't make any sense to anybody, but, but we know that it's going to take off and so we can cash in and be retired at age 23. That's what our goal is. Like for some reason we think that we should be able to plant stuff and we should be able to reap an immediate reward. And when we don't, we get discouraged. Jesus to me, is modeling discipleship is a long-term investment. Right? What do they tell you about investing? Don't watch your, don't watch your retirement day by day. You've got to watch it long time by long time, or else you get discouraged and whatever else. It's a long-term investment. Discipleship truly is a long-term 
investment. Listen, this verse that I read doesn't say, Jesus said, therefore, go and make believers of all nations. Belief is the beginning of discipleship. But discipleship is the process of life. How is it modeled in our lives? Walt had about 18 years to disciple Trevor to be a functional contribution to society, right? He had 18 years to teach Trevor about what it means to be a man of God and how to live that way. It was a long-term investment. Discipleship, making disciples, it's not just a one and done. It's not just a, a Wednesday night around the table. It's a life of working and walking with someone else. You know what's really cool? When you can look at someone and say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, and they look at someone else and they say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, and you can look back and you can see people following you who are following someone who are following someone because they were following you. That's what God designed. That's what God wants. But too often, we're not serious about the therefore. We're not intentional about making disciples. I'm going to tell you it's our responsibility. No, let me change that word. I'm going to tell you it's your responsibility. I want you to be able to comprehend today that for the kingdom of God and the investment that it is, it's my responsibility to make disciples. Remember we talked about confession? And confession was ownership. Someone might need to confess today that it's my responsibility to make disciples. That's the therefore. That's the why. That's the fullness of the gospel. Yes, the crucifixion, resurrection, it's all there. But the reality is that you and I can make people who follow Christ. You guys can come forward. Go back to my question. But I'm going to change a couple words. What are you going to do with the command of Jesus? Not how are you doing, but what are you you going to do? Who does God need you to call out, come follow me? God, I come to you this morning and I pray, God, for a church that makes disciples. I don't want excuses on why we're not engaging 
in the therefore, God, but I want us to be intentional about what you want for us to do. And God, this moment is a reflective moment. It's a, it's a moment where we can just stop and think, what, God, are you speaking to me right now? God, what are you saying that I need to take from this moment? God, if there's some in this room that say my passion isn't where it should be, God, I ask that in this day, that whether it was through communion or through the time or or through what you desire to accomplish, that you would show the fullness of your love to them, that they could follow you, that they could see you, that they could hear you and experience you and be a passionate disciple of Jesus Christ. And God, as our passion burns, I pray that, that it produces intrigue in others, that we would be willing, God, to call out, come, come follow me. And God, that when we see that the one put down the nets, when we see that son willing to come and leave his father on the boat, we would recognize the investment that's ahead. That we would walk with them. That we would talk with them. That we would pattern our relationship with God before them. And we would see the promise of discipleship fulfilled in us. The reward of discipleship, the fruit of discipleship coming behind us because of who you are in what you've done. God, I thank you for this day. In Jesus' name. When I ask them to lead a song, I just want you to, to reflect for a little while. What is God speaking to me? How can I respond to this? After you have a moment of reflection, I would like an opportunity to pray with anyone in this room today that needs prayer for for anything so the altars will be open. I'm older than I realized, Jim. And I remember when I got elected to a position in our network of presbyters, it's like where other pastors were supposed to talk to me. And I'm thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not gray enough. I'm not bald enough yet. And God said to me, I chose you. I'm going to tell you, the enemy's going to tell you you're not good enough to make disciples. The enemy's going to tell you you've got so much more to learn. You've got so many more hair to fall out and so much more gray to get before you're ready for that role. But God is saying, I chose you. Don't let the enemy tell you something that's not true. God has chosen you to go and make disciples. God has chosen you because there's a wellspring of life in you. God has chosen you because he's equipped you for this moment to empower and enable others to follow Christ. When God said that, I had to say,
The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you recognize that God has chosen you to go and make disciples. Amen.